You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. For our reading today, we're reading the whole of Proverbs chapter 5. If you're using the Church Bibles, pray turn with me to page 638. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a grateful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Does everyone have a Bible, by the way? We've got a stack of Bibles just at the front if people want one. Just put your hand up and... Okay. Yeah, if you can have it open at Proverbs 5, because probably... There's going to be stuff I say today which you might not think is in the Bible. And I want you to see that it is. Uh, My poor dad, bless him, was forced by my mum to give me the talk. You know the one I'm referring to, the birds and the bees. I can't remember what age I was or if something triggered it, like maybe they caught me staring at sections of the Freeman's catalogue. 
I just know that we had a chat about some birds and some bees. Apparently, it comes from a Samuel Coleridge poem. Um, but actually, it's used because it's quite easy and quite visual. So the bees carry the pollen into the flowers. It's an easy parallel to fertilization. The female birds lay the eggs. It's a parallel to ovulation. Now, my dad may have eloquently described the work of the birds and bees, but the truth is I can't remember anything he said other than remembering that he was really uncomfortable talking to me about it. Now, I can't be critical of my dad because now I am a dad. I know that talking about sex with your children is never easy. I was helped enormously by a book called Growing Up God's Way, uh, which I read with my eldest around about the year, uh, year five. Kathy read Growing Up God's Way for Girls, about the same age with my daughter. Lovewise is another great resource if a Christian parent when they come to have the talk. Now, friends, I'd say that it's not enough just to talk to your children once about sex. You see, this difficult and awkward topic needs to be talked about often. Now, I'm not suggesting you talk about it every mealtime, but it will be when someone said something, when something's happened maybe at school, or whether there's something going on in the news. Our children need to hear what the Bible teaches about sex. And as much as we may not like it, the topic of sex seems to be getting discussed much earlier in our schools. At my son's primary schools, the following topics are on a sex education syllabus from year five onwards. They include what is unwanted touch, menstruation and wet dreams, sexual orientation, trans positive, how to make a baby and contraception. Now, we have the option of withdrawing him from the classes, but we have to make sure that we talk to him about these subjects because whether he's in the lessons or not, you can guarantee his friends are going to be talking about what they've heard in class. And we want to be able to give him a better story about sex and relationships. We want to give him God's story. Now, whatever school your child's in, however tight your restrictions are on screens, your children are inevitably going to learn some things about sex and relationships from this broken and confused world. A world where God's wisdom about sex is neither favoured nor followed. Um, instead, we live in a time when evil, wrong and bitter things about sex, which we'll talk about in a minute, are called good, right and sweet by our world. This was brought home this week. Another example as I scroll through The Guardian. Yes, I do read The Guardian, my left-wing tendencies. Uh, it had this following description. It said, Heartstopper Season 2. The LGBTQ plus teen drama is even sweeter and lovelier than before. I was reminded of the words from Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, God wants us to see sex how he sees it, not through the eyes of the world. We need to talk about sex and in particular what the book of Proverbs teaches about sex. And from Proverbs chapter 5, we're going to see three things this morning. One is sex is broken. Two Sex is beautiful. And third, 
Jesus is better. Why don't I pray and then we'll ask God to help us. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it covers an array of areas in our lives, some easier to talk about than others. We do pray as we think about this topic that you grant us humility, repentance, but also great comfort in knowing that we are loved because of Christ's death. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're not if you joined us for the first time, you're very welcome. We are in a little summer series in the book of Proverbs. We're looking at what Proverbs teaches about different topics. The first week we looked at what Proverbs teaches about anger, and everyone went away really angry. Last week we looked at laziness, everyone went away really lazy. Anyway, okay. Um, now a lot of Proverbs, a lot of Proverbs is written by King Solomon to his son to help him be wise. And that's why my introduction focused in particular on parents and children. But we all know, however, as God's people, that the struggles with sex are common to all people. We need to know for ourselves, for our neighbours, for our work colleagues, for our friends, that we are all sinners and sufferers with regards to sex. And we need to know what the Bible says is foolish and what the Bible says is wise with regards to sex. And remember what we've been saying about wisdom? Wisdom is living well as God's people in God's good world. And the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. That is living in God's good world, but rejecting God and his word. This type of foolishness is a bit like, is my one cricket reference for the weekend, is this type of foolishness is like trying to face one of Mitchell Stark's fast bowls using a banana. It's not going to end well. Then the writer Ed Welsh, whose quote we've looked at in the book of Proverbs, says this. says, Proverbs doesn't simply say, stop doing this and start doing that. It woos, persuades, paints vivid pictures, which we'll see in a moment, rehearses consequences, connects teaching to real life, surrounds everything with the fear of the Lord, and delivers it all in the context of familiar love. So in Proverbs chapter 5, we get to see the talk that King Solomon has with his sons. Verse 1 and 2 reads this. If you want to follow in the Bible, verse 1 and 2. Solomon says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Now you might say, hang on, Chris. Isn't this Solomon guy the fellow who had 700 wives and 300 concubines? But you see, that's the point. Solomon is able to talk from his own wise and foolish decisions he has made. And I know this is hard for our young people who are with us today, but your mums and dads actually know some stuff about this world. They know it because they have got some things right but more often, something's wrong. And God has given you them so that you can learn from the wise and foolish things they have done. But not only that, young people, but God has put you in a church family. And as a church family who make wise and foolish decisions, we too can help one another in this area. 
So let's think about our first point, sex is broken. Now there's an old joke that speaks of the differences between men and women. A woman wants one man to meet her every need, while a man wants every woman to meet his one need. Okay, that wasn't as funny as I thought it was. Oh, you're all just a bit scared today, aren't you? If I laugh now, what are people going to think? Uh, it's okay, no judgment. So we see in this, we see a father warning his son about the dangers of the wrong type of sex. Have a look at verses 3 to 6. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths, sorry, she gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, she does not know it. So in this example, the wrong type of sex is sex with a woman who is not your wife, someone who's married to someone else, the adulteress. The father warns his son that her speech is sweet and enticing, but ultimately the sex will be bitter as gall and cause great pain. Double-edged sword. Now, if you're a woman here this morning, you might be thinking, that's not fair, because men are just as bad as women, which is true. And Proverbs does warn against the evils of men, chapter 1, verse 10 to 19. But of course, no passage can say everything. The point here, though, is this, that there is a type of sex, although seems sweet and good, is bitter and painful. There is the wrong type of sex. Now, this next bit might be the most difficult part of the sermon. As I realise to say that there are different types of sex that are wrong may seem odd. After all, our culture says love is love. And as long as people consent, sex is a personal choice. What people do in the privacy of their bedroom is their own business. But you see, what people don't want to admit is that everybody has a line they hold between the right and wrong types of sex. Now, we've seen this quite recently. I'm not going to go into great detail, but with the, what happened with Philip Schofield. So if you remember Philip Schofield a couple of years ago was lauded as a hero when on national TV he came out as a person who was same-sex attracted. He said that he was leaving his wife of 20 plus years and his children because he was going to finally live his authentic self. And he was portrayed as a hero. However, and we know recently, some of the problems that have come from that is Allegedly, Philip Schofield used his position and power to groom somebody a lot younger. So this hero is now a horror. Can you see what's happened? There's a line here that we celebrate one that kind of thing, but we vilify another. Our culture has a line and individuals have a line between right and wrong kind of sex. Now, as Christians, we believe that God has clearly set a line for what is right and wrong uh, when it comes to sex. And this is all through the Bible. And Jesus in Matthew 19 affirms it too, in case anyone wants to say Jesus doesn't say this. He does in Matthew 19. 
God teaches that sex in marriage, sex in marriage between one biological male and one biological female is right, and all other sexual activity outside of this relationship is wrong. Now, some of the confusion about sex comes because we, we forget the difference between being and behavior. Our culture wants to merge the two together. So what we do, our behavior, and who we are, our being, gets merged into one. If we don't celebrate the behavior of someone, then we are not affirming the being of that person because behavior and being have been put together. The Bible, however, says that we can hold the two separately because our being is grounded in being made in the image of God. All people, regardless of their sexual preference, should be shown love, compassion, forgiveness, dignity and worth because God has given them a being made in his image. This means that we can affirm and love people but still hold that some behaviours are not part of God's good design for sex. We can love people and disagree with people at the same time. Now, the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, it captures one of the reasons why sexual sin is so easy to participate in. And that is that it seems to taste so good. We're told, aren't we, that it tastes like honey. So the bit of flirting with the work colleague feels good. The boy in school makes you feel special. That website promises hassle-free fun. The romantic novels lead to erotic thoughts. The casual sex that you justify because one day you plan to marry. The suggestive text messages and playful pictures you send are exciting. That holiday fling no one will know about. The same sex desires that you act upon now and again, they all appear to taste good. That's what makes sexual sin so difficult. It appears sweet and right. But what would the father say to his son when these temptations come our way? And they will. Look at verse 7 and 8. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. So the father is saying to the son when sexual temptation comes, do not go near do not contemplate it, stay away. And then he goes on to spell out some further consequences. Look at verse 9 to 14. He says, Lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, How I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to instructors. And, as soon, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. You see, sexual brokenness is often seen in the effects of foolish living. There's a financial cost to such foolishness, verse 10. 
There's the reputation of the man both in society, verse 9, and in church, verse 14. There's the guilty conscience and regret from foolish decisions, verse 11. There's the damage our action causes others, broken families, relationships, shame, hurt and loneliness, verse 10. Ultimately, at the end of our life, we will groan at the cost of our sexual foolishness, verse 11. We will all taste the bitterness and pain that comes from using sex the wrong way. You see, Satan is very clever. He shows us the bait whilst hiding the hook. Now, this is hard to preach on. It's hard to hear because during our lives, we've probably been both the sinner and the sufferer. So we've suffered at the hand of other people's wrong use of sex. We've experienced the brokenness that comes from their sexual foolishness. But we've also been a sinner. We've also been enticed by the honey ourselves. And we've caused pain to others through our own foolishness. Now if you are struggling today with the brokenness of sex, can I ask you to talk to someone? Jesus is at work in all of us. Jesus can make the dark things light. He can make the dirty beautiful. Jesus' redemption touches every area of our lives. Jesus works with us. But our first step is to talk to someone and be honest about the problems we have faced or are facing. Do you remember the wonderful promise in Philippians 1? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, friends, sex is broken, but Jesus is remaking all of our lives if we let him in. So point one, sex is broken. Point two, sex is beautiful. Now, often an illustration about fire is used to help us understand sex. Fire, too, is powerful and has to be used in the right way. We have seen, haven't we, recently the wildfires in Europe, the damage that fire causes when it's not controlled or restricted. Fire can run wild and people can suffer. This is the same when sex is taken out of the controls and restrictions that God places on it. When this power is controlled, it can be a beautiful thing. If you've ever sat in front of a roaring fire or a fire pit, it can be an awesome thing. And this, in this controlled environment, you can heat the fire up as much as you want. The experience of fire is better when restrictions are followed and it is the same with sex too. Listen to what Proverbs says. This is why I want you to have the Bible open because this might surprise you what the Bible talks about sex. So verse 15. So he's talked about the adulteress. He's talked about the consequences that come with this. And this is what he says is better. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. 
May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? The father encourages his son to direct his sexual passion and his desires to his wife. She has been given to him by God. And likewise, he has been given to her by God. So they can enjoy God's good gift of sexual intimacy. In the context of marriage between a biological male and a biological female, sex is to be enjoyed. The man is to drink from his own cistern and well, not go into the public square or with strangers. The man is to rejoice in the wife of his youth. He is to enjoy her beauty like a loving doe, a graceful deer. The husband is to enjoy his wife's breasts and be intoxicated with her love. That means that you're meant to be crazy in love with your wife. Now you might say, well, of course you're meant to be crazy in love. That's just obvious. But it wasn't back then. A lot of marriages back then were for status, were for economic reasons, were for about a legacy of children. Romantic love was not a priority. But the book of Proverbs is saying, make it a priority. She is your wife and be crazy for her. But these verses also talk about the quality of lovemaking. It should be a joyful, fun experience. Look at the words that are used. Rejoice, intoxicated. These verses talk about the quantity of lovemaking. Always, may you ever. Or to put it another way, we're to make sex fun and frequent. Ray Ortland says this, he says, the Bible is saying, when you get married, drop the inhibitions and go for it in both quality and quantity. <laughs> now, you might think, oh, this is just many, men are just like nudging their wives going, I told you, I told you, I told you, I was right all along. Here's an example just to even it out a bit. The Puritans, yes, those dour cast fun suckers, knew the importance of sex in marriage. There's a story of a wife who complained first to her pastor and then to the whole congregation that her husband was neglecting their sex life. The church removed him as a member. Now, I haven't, don't know Emmanuel C.C.'s history too much, but I've not read that in the minutes. Now, I get that there's going to be times when sex in marriage may not be fun nor frequent. Ill health, small children, stress at work, other commitments are just few of the reasons why there might be a season when having sex and enjoying sex are not possible. We must, however, make sure that we do not follow the trend of having less sex. You see, studies show that married people are having less sex in general. And the main reason for this is the rise of technology. Modern technology means that there's more to do at home at 10 p.m., whether that's scrolling Instagram, checking emails, playing addictive smartphone games, watching Netflix. The term coined for this brush-off for technolo technological reasons is fubbing. And I think there's a little picture, is there? 
You may have experienced that yourself. One of the big reasons why married couples are not having as much sex is because one or both are too busy on their phones. But to live well as God's people in God's good world, married people are to have fun and frequent sex. Sex is given to us as a gift by God and he wants us to enjoy sex in a way he says should be enjoyed. A marriage between a biological man and a biological woman. In this context, sex brings great delight and glorifies God. Now, if you're married, here's a brave conversation you can have sometime this afternoon. Talk about the ways that you could make sex more fun and frequent. If you're not married, do not settle for anything else. The sex the world offers us is broken. The sex God has for us is something beautiful. So sex is broken, sex is beautiful, and finally, some of you will be relieved to know, the third point, Jesus is better. Now, I realise a sermon like this is difficult for many, many reasons. The topic is awkward and possibly uncomfortable for people. It may be that you feel a sense of your own regret and shame as you've been reminded of some of your own sexual sin. And again, all of us at some level have been sexual sinners. It may be that I've talked about sex in marriage in a way that brings up questions in your marriage to why it's not fun or frequent. Or I've made sex in marriage sound so good that if anyone who is not married may feel like a lesser person. And please accept my apologies if you've heard any of those things. Why did I want to go through Proverbs 5? Because our world is so confused and has so crazy ideas about sex. I wanted to show you what the Bible says. The Bible says, yes, sex is broken, but it's also beautiful. But here's the most important thing I want everyone to go away with. Sex is not the ultimate goal for us as humans. You can be a fulfilled and joyful person whether you have sex or not. Our value and worth does not come from our sexuality. Our value and worth comes from knowing that we are children of God. Let me finish with the last three verses in this. And as we do this, we're going to see why we need Jesus more than we need sex. Okay, verse 21. Have a look in the Bible. It might come up on the screen. Is it on the... Yeah, there we go. Okay. So it says this, For your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all your paths. Friends, we can hide nothing from God. He knows all our thoughts. He knows all our actions. He knows all our words. He knows the darkest things that we've done and said. He knows those thoughts that we'd wish we'd never had. God knows it all. And yet, knowing the very worst about us, God showed us mercy by sending Jesus to die for our wickedness. Al said the verse before, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to this earth. He died for us, not while we were good, but he died when we were most rotten and vile. Jesus loves us when nobody else would if they knew the depths of our sin. And Jesus dies so that we could become children of God. 
Jesus is better than sex because he dies to make us children of God. Look at verse 22. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. Again, we are both sinner and sufferer. We have sinned against people and we have been sinned against. These sins can grip us. They can ensnare us. They can consume us. They can eat away us. They can take hold of us. And yet when we put our trust in Jesus, when we repent, when we become children of God, Jesus goes to work in us. You see, Jesus' mercy, his kindness is both for sinners and sufferers. He rights all wrongs. Jesus is merciful to people who do wrong. He forgives and changes people. Jesus is merciful to those who have been done wrong. He comforts and changes us. And as a child of God, Jesus is changing you. The power of sin loses its grip. We are freed from condemnation. We are now walking in the light of his free love. Jesus is better than sex because he frees us from the power of sin. And then finally, verse 23. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Friends, we deserve death for our foolishness. We deserve death for the wrong use of sex. Jesus, however, gives us life. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus dies for our sin. He rises again so we can have this eternal life as his children. We are not marked by death. We are people marked by life. A life that we get to enjoy now, but a life that will be complete when we meet him face to face. Friends, Jesus Christ is better than any sex. A life intoxicated, a life that is crazy in love with Jesus is the ultimate goal for us all. This Jesus who at our worst would die and make us children of God. This Jesus who has freed us from the power of sin. And this Jesus who gives us a new life now and forever. Friends, Jesus is the great lover of our life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for today, take away anything that was from me and unhelpful. Please only may it be the things from you that people remember today. But more than anything, would they go away knowing how great and wonderful Jesus is as their lover. And would they grow in their love for him, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.